Greetings and welcome to you from us to the second episode in the December 2022 BV podcast, your slice of genuine Dorset rural life. Hello from me, Jenny Devitt. And me, Terry Bennett. And in this episode... Leading horse racing presenter Alice Plunkett takes on the Random 19. Managing director of the Gardens Group Mike Burks gives his reasons for choosing his Dorset Island Discs. Tracy Beardsley catches up with two retirees who found new careers working in wood. And finally, we'll hear from North Dorset Tory MP Simon Hall. TV presenter Alice Plunkett takes on the Random 19 questions. North Dorset resident Alice Plunkett is one of the leading horse racing presenters for ITV. She's a former eventer and national hunt jockey herself, beginning with local point-to-points, which led to her riding in the 1993 Fox Hunters Chase at Aintree. She was just 19 and riding Bold King's Hussar, bred by her grandfather. It was only her fifth ride on a race course, and she finished 14th. Alice went on to ride winners on the flat, over hurdles and fences. Switching to eventing, she rode at Badminton Horse Trials, and represented Great Britain as part of the under-21s team at the European three-day event championships. Alice is the only woman to have ridden at both badminton horse trials and over the Grand National course at Aintree. Her broadcasting career began when she became a runner on Festival Radio. She moved on to having her own show there at the Derby and Royal Ascot. Following Royal Ascot, she was asked to do a screen test for the Racing Channel, where she continued to present until it closed. Alice was on the main Channel 4 racing team from 2001 to 2016 and then moved to ITV when they took over racing coverage in 2017. She soon became one of the lead presenters for National Hunt Racing coverage. Alice has also been the Radio 5 live equestrian correspondent and has hosted equestrian events for Eurosport, Sky Sports and Horse and Country. She's also presented two series of the equestrian interest show Horse Tales on Animal Planet. Alice is married to top eventer William Fox Pitt and they have four children. Question 1. What's your relationship with Dorset? I've lived here for 20 years. I'm a partner in a farm and involved in a leading equestrian yard just outside Stormonster Newton. What was the last song you sang out loud in your car? Ed Sheeran's The Shape of You, though, uh, to be fair, singing is a stretch. Wailing would be better. The last film you watched? Oh, it was the latest Marvel movie in Dorch with the boys. Black something. That'll be Black Adam, says the editor. And actually, it's the DC Universe, not Marvel, says the sub-editor. I nearly always get dragged to see them by 15 and 16-year-old boys and nearly always end up thoroughly enjoying myself. It's Friday night, you have the house to yourself and no work is allowed. What are you going to do? I'm calling the girls round to drink vodka. Black cow vodka, obviously. What is your comfort meal? Oh, roast chicken with cheesy leeks, roast potatoes, onion gravy and as many different veg as I can squeeze onto the plate. Actually, the Sunday roast at the White Horse in Hinton St Mary is amazing. I'll happily go there for my roast chicken. What would you like to tell the 15-year-old you? Hmm, try to put some structure into your life and write lists. The best flavour of crisps? Smoky bacon. And the best biscuit for dunking? Digestives. What book did you read recently that stayed with you? The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Valk. Just so, so good. It's about trauma and the effect it has on our adult lives and bodies. It's a fascinating, insightful read that has stayed with me. What's your secret superpower? 
relentless positive energy. Your most annoying trait? I'm a liability. I have an infuriating, deep-seated belief that everything is possible, which means I try and do far too much. In my defence, I do get loads done, but I also end up dropping a lot of balls in the process. What in life is frankly a mystery to you? Tidiness. What shop can't you pass without going in? Ooh, Hambledon Gallery in Blandford, Caroline Nichols in Sherborne, Gallery 1 in Sturmester Newton. All three are simply amazing shops, more so when you consider they're all in such a small, sparsely populated rural area. Tell us about one of the best evenings you've ever had. It was in Tokyo in 2019. William was asked to ride in the Olympic test event, so we took our boys out on an adventure. We then had the most surreal night out in Shibuya City in Tokyo. It was like the movie Lost in Translation. Chip shop chips or home-baked cake? Chips. Your top three most visited websites? Racing Post. Uh, Racing Post? Um, and Racing Post. No, I do also visit At the Races and Sporting Life. Oh, and Amazon. That counts. Your favourite quote? Winston Churchill. No hour of life is lost that is spent in the saddle, simply because it's so true. What was the last gift you either gave or received? I gave a potion-making kit to my niece. Oh, and I gave my son tickets to see comedian Jack Whitehall at the BIC for his 16th birthday. He was very excited. I actually got the most positive teenager reaction I've ever achieved. There were real words, not grunts. You have the power to pass one law tomorrow, uncontested. What would you do? Free school meals for all children. Mike Burks is Managing Director of the Gardens Group and with his wife Louise has spent the past three decades running three multi-award winning garden centres, three restaurants and a farm shop in Dorset and Somerset. During the 2020 lockdowns, Mike, as Chairman of the Garden Centre Association, the GCA, played an essential part in coordinating the industry's emergency response. His biggest success was persuading the government that garden centres should be treated as essential retailers for the health of the nation. Both Mike and Louise graduated with honours degrees in horticulture from the University of Bath. They founded the Gardens Group in 1987, opening Castle Gardens in Sherborne. The group has since expanded with the opening of Brimsmore Gardens in Yeovil in 1992 and Poundbury Gardens near Dorchester in 2006. One of the biggest challenges for modern garden centres, Mike believes, is their stance on environmental issues – peat, plastics, water, pesticides and carbon emissions. Garden centres should be guiding customers to a peat-free world, for example, he says. He also believes the wide use of multi-purpose compost is a big issue – whether it's wood chip, coir, or worse, peat, the ingredients in multipurpose are scarce and should not be wasted on the veg patch. Other, more plentiful materials are available. A visit to Castle Gardens at Christmas is a December ritual for many families. Mike and Louise's garden centres are renowned for their Christmas displays, and they won the top national award in the GCA's annual Christmas competition on numerous occasions. The displays now have a purposefully environmentally conscious focus. They've been built using repurposed and recycled materials. The decorations and gifts have been deliberately sourced from small-scale makers and fair trade businesses. Recycled candles, plastic-free toys, soft toys made from recycled plastic and recyclable gift wrap are all available throughout the displays. 
Decorations made of glass, wax, paper and cardboard have replaced plastic. They're chosen for their quality, so they'll be brought out year after year and hopefully be passed down through families. And so to Mike's eight music choices, in no particular order, along with how and why they stuck in his life. First up is Cadillac Walk by Mink DeVille. Yes, so I uh, chose this uh, particular uh, track uh, because it reminds me of um, uh, growing up at home. We were brought up on a on a market garden, organic market garden, uh, and uh, family, uh, lots of brothers and sisters. And my older brothers and sisters would always bring uh, records back from uh, school, and uh, they uh, so there was a whole range of things. Things like Neil Sedaka, which I've sort of got a fondness for, um, uh, Simon and Garfunkel, um, but then some uh, harder stuff as well, and uh, Stranglers, who I love. But actually, this is the this is the track that reminds me most of those times. And next, then comes uh, Ian Dury and the Blockheads. Uh, their disc "Reasons to Be Cheerful." <laughs> there we are. So. The, uh, this is from, uh, I suppose, school and university uh, days, um, and uh, Ian Jury was an extraordinary uh, musician and poet, um, and uh, I, he caused a huge stir when he was uh, his first number one, when he and the Blockheads went on to Top of the Pops in their um, in their dinner suits, uh, which I remember was then on the uh, the nine o'clock news as it would have been then. Um, so this reminds me of those times uh, where um, Louise and I met at university um, and uh, I love the fact she went in to get me uh, one of his albums uh, from a packed record store as existed in those days uh, and it was the album New Boots and Panties by Ian Jury um, only be t to be told in a very loud voice from the the member of staff in the record shop that uh, actually that, that LP had been banned under the Obscene Publications Act uh, and so it was not available. Uh, it just shows how times were different, uh, because although yeah, the language might be a little bit racy, it uh, certainly wouldn't be banned these days. A bit embarrassing for Louise then. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed, yes. Next comes uh, choice number three is the Cordettes with Lollipop, Lollipop. Well, this is uh, because of my connections with the rugby club and one of the things that I managed to persuade uh, quite a lot of, of uh, friends to do is to get involved in the uh, Christmas Review, which is a whole series of different sketches, uh, some very funny, some pretty awful. Uh, but uh, And also uh, we did um, some pantomimes as well. And uh, I guess my favourite of those is one that we called the Wizard of Oz, uh, uh, which was a f not a very close, um, close enactment of the of the of the the, the book and the film. But um, because when you've got uh, a Toto who is uh, eighteen stone, a large gentleman, uh, played by my friend Sandy, uh, and uh, a cowardly lion played by another prop forward uh, and then a scarecrow uh, interesting uh, gentleman and um, a tin uh, the tin man who is Germanic uh, but them them dancing and singing lollipop lollipop uh, and so anytime I hear it it just takes me back 
to some really good fun times uh, at the rugby club. And and did you did you play Dorothy? Uh, I did indeed, yes, and I've still got the costume uh, hanging in the hanging in my wardrobe. Uh, yeah, so it was uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> great fun. Fond memories. Uh, now, choice number four goes back to one of the jazz greats of the last century, Stefan Grappelli, uh, with Sweet Georgia Brown. Why this one? Well, I was really lucky to uh, see Stefan Grappelli live at, uh, in, at the NIC in Bournemouth, and uh, we, my mum and dad got the tickets for it, and so that was in the late 80s or early 90s, I can't quite remember. And it was the most extraordinary concert, so it was absolutely packed. And uh, the sort of uh, the audience was sort of um, uh, mumbling away to themselves at the start, and then on stage came this chap in his uh, late seventies or eighties, and I'm sure he was wearing slippers and a cardigan, but he was carrying a violin, um, and he just started playing. It was the most extraordinary thing, and then two. I think one might be a bassist and one might be a guitarist, uh, young young uh, musicians uh, playing with him. Uh, and he said um, after about an hour's playing that uh, he they would take a break, but it was the, the youngsters who took the break and then he just started playing the piano for half an hour, equally as well, and then came back with another hour of um, a violin. It was just the most extraordinary thing and Sweet Georgia Brown is probably one of my favourites of his. What a wonderful thing to have heard him, the great, the great uh, Stefan Grappelli. Now, uh, next comes someone I've never heard of, which nothing unusual in that, uh, Nellie Lutcher with Lake Charles. W what's the reason for this choice? Well, uh, so Louise's parents were also um, great music fans, particularly of, of jazz, and they introduced me to lots of different things that I'd not heard of, and Nellie Lutcher... Uh, black female singer from the 1950s who sang well it's, it's sort of jazz I guess and uh, but also uh, um, uh, boogie as well um, and this uh, 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 is really funny when I was thinking about um, uh, tracks that I would choose for Dorset Island Discs uh, I was discussing it in a, a restaurant in London with uh, Louise and William and Sophie my our children uh, and Playing on the um, in the restaurant uh, was Nellie Lutcher and Lake Charles, and it was uh, so. I, this has, has got to be the, the track I choose for this. And then your second to last choice is um, the Cat Empire with No Longer There, and and th this reason brings you the reason for this brings you to your two two children. Yeah, indeed. So the Cat Empire, an Australian band, the most. Ex Extraordinary Australian band. Uh, they don't really have guitars. Uh, they have a piano. Um, they have a big brass section. Um, uh, just wonderful music. And it's not that they, they didn't have any big hits or anything like that. But I've been. We've been to a number of their concerts, which are quite huge, and everyone knows the words. Now we're uh, we're sort of forty years too old for the audience, really. Uh, but uh, for the rest of the audience, but um, this their favourite band of of uh, my son William and, and Sophie. And when I first came across them, William had come back from school and said, uh, "Could we give him a lift to Bristol to see 
the cat empire and by the way there were two tickets there for us anyway so we agreed to this and um uh, by the time he got home from school the next day he said he'd sold the tickets that he was giving us but could we give him a lift anyway uh, so we had a great evening in bristol waiting uh, for him to finish his concert uh, but we've now been to see them ourselves several times live um, but this particular track is not uh, they are just fantastic um gets the audience just bouncing and uh, and everyone seems to know the words which are brilliant but this particular track is one that i used uh, at the garden center association conference that i organized in january 2020 pre-covid um, and the conference was based on environmental and sustainability issues uh, and so this is uh, uh, cat empire's sort of climate change lament very appropriate. So that was the, the third to last choice. Your second is second to last is Spencer Jones with What You Doing in My Cave. <laughs> and actually, I don't know whether you've you've managed to find this, in fact, because Spencer Jones is just a completely uh, off-the-wall comedian who we came across at the Edinburgh Fringe, which is something we love going to. Uh, and um, we see in the, actually what we do is avoid seeing anyone who is who is famous um, because that quite often can be a disappointment but actually seeing some of the uh, obscure um, uh, comedians who are there and so just some really interesting acts and Spencer Jones we found uh, free of charge in a tiny venue and uh, he was doing a set where he didn't really speak, but he just showed us things that he'd bought on the internet, um, which were completely worthless um, and bizarre. Uh, and then uh, he also does some uh, some singing, but his songs, uh, he is obviously self-recorded uh, because they come wrapped up, not in a proper sleeve, but an A4 sheet of paper that he's sort of drawn on. Anyway, Spencer Jones is now uh, quite famous uh, and uh, you start seeing him on uh, Radio 4 on a regular basis. He's also in various television things. Um, and a lot of people still don't get him, but it just reminds us me of uh, great times with family and friends in Edinburgh. Um, and what you doing in my cave? What you doing in my cave? You must behave in my cave. And so it goes on. <laughs> and your final disc choice is Johnny Cash and June Carter with Jackson. Yeah, so um, this uh, sort of almost full circle, really. So Johnny Cash was something we we played at home when I was growing up. Um, but I guess when I um, watched uh, Walk the Line with Joachim Phoenix playing Johnny Cash, and it just sort of made me more aware of his uh, life story uh, and also... Uh, his second wife, June uh, Carter, or June Carter Cash, um, and uh, there's obviously the film version, which isn't her singing, but then uh, coming across the the real version, and it's uh, I love Johnny Cash, but uh, her voice is just something quite spectacular. So uh, I I had to take this uh, to the island. So that's your disc choices. Now, your your one luxury item, what is that? Well, luxury item is actually going to be Reg the Reindeer, who sits, uh, and there's actually three Regs, but they sit in our Christmas displays in the garden centre. So 
Um, now Reg is pretty downbeat in uh, what he has to say in his commentary on life and his role as a reindeer, as one of Santa's reindeer. But I think if I were able to have a conversation with um, Reg on a daily basis just to see what his uh, take on life would be, then I could only be more um, optimistic than he is and it would just keep me going, I think. Uh, so, uh, and I probably be able to, uh, I'd have to get more of his um, anecdotes or uh, live commentaries recorded before I went, uh, but I think that would just uh, get me through. So there we are, Reg, the talking reindeer, of, of whom I am also particularly fond. And finally, Mike, your book. Yeah, so my book, uh, I couldn't take any other book other than the book um, uh, written um, by my daughter, um, Sophie, under the name Sophie Irwin, uh, and it's uh, a lady's guide to fortune hunting, and it's um, uh, it's a um, a book that she wrote in lockdown uh, and uh, had published. It was in the Sunday Times bestseller list and published in twenty four countries. Uh, book two comes out in uh, is now finished and comes out in May, twenty twenty three. But uh, I'm, I might have chosen the complete works of Sherlock Holmes, but actually I've got to take that one. Mike, Mike Burks, thank you very much indeed for giving us your Dorset Island Discs. A country living, self-taught woodturners Peter Thomas and Trevor Ball tell Tracy Beardsley how they have turned retirement into a new career. When octogenarian actors Derek Jacobi and Clint Eastwood worked together on the drama Hereafter, Jacobi asked Eastwood how he coped with age. Eastwood famously replied, don't let the old man in. In a tiny village in Dorset, talented 84-year-old Pete Thomas and 70-year-old Trevor Ball are keeping the old man well and truly out. Former colleagues on Rampersham Manor Estate, Peter as farm manager for 15 years and Trevor as gamekeeper and woodsman for 20 years, both are retired and now work happily every day on their addiction, wood-turning and stick-dressing. Although they never intended to set up a business, both men now have a hugely satisfying second career. In his charming 17th century cottage in Rampersham, Peter has a gallery of their stunning creations. On display are beautiful bowls begging to be touched alongside lampstands and ornaments that would take pride of place in any swanky London gallery. There are exquisite walking sticks with ornate heads fashioned from ram's horns and seeker deer antlers. The art of stick dressing, a carryover from when countrymen made their own shepherd's crooks and walking sticks, is practised by Peter, who was taught the skill by his grandfather. He says, The day after I retired from farming... I saw a second-hand lathe advertised. I bought it, and for the next few weeks, all hell let loose. Eventually, I taught myself how to use it properly and began wood-turning. I became completely hooked. I had a workshop built in my garden and then bought a top-of-the-range big-boy lathe with some of my retirement funds. Trevor shares Peter's addiction. His cottage is near Peter's, and he's converted part of his kitchen into another living wood gallery. Trevor says... I learned a lot by watching Peter wood-turning, which is an art in itself. He's ambidextrous, switching effortlessly from one hand to the other while the lathe is turning at a furious speed. Like Peter, I bought a shed and a lathe. 
I started making bowls and became totally hooked. Wood captures you and draws you in. I finished as a gamekeeper on the Friday, and on the Saturday I was exhibiting as part of Dorset Arts Week. We go where the wood takes us. This companionable double act of self-taught heritage craftsmen are now award-winning exhibitors. They display at county shows across the southwest as many as 60 days of fairs and events in a year. Both are also leading lights in the Dorset Art and Crafts Association and the Dorset Coppice Group. Peter and Trevor use solely locally sourced wood for their creations. In this day and age, we are so quick to discard anything that isn't perfect, says Peter. We use dead, diseased and storm-damaged wood. When we begin wood turning, there's no preconceived ideas about what we'll make. The natural edge of the wood evolves on the lathe. We go where the wood takes us. Peter, calling himself a Luddite when it comes to technology, has also set up a successful online shop. Just this week, I've posted walking sticks to Poland, America and France, he tells me. Trevor had one couple from Boston buy 14 pieces of his work to take home. That's a real compliment, as there are a lot of good turners in America, where it's seen as much more of an art form, says Trevor. Wives, Sarah and Jenny, are happy wood-turning widows. Trevor says, you lose track of time, finding yourself lost in the zone. Both our wives are always asking us if we're coming in for dinner. Peter adds, Jen would go mad if I was in the house all day. I'm sure I wouldn't be alive today if I hadn't started this hobby when I retired. Wood turning gives second life to a tree that's already lived for a few hundred years. We won't outlast our creations, but making them has certainly given us a similarly new lease of life. And you can follow Peter and Trevor on Instagram as Peter Living Wood, all one word, on Facebook as Rampersham Turner, all one word, or view the online shop on the website PeterThomasLivingWood.co.uk. Politics. Westminster policy has a habit of ignoring the less populated rural areas of the country, says MP Simon Hoare. For a little too long for comfort, the important policy initiative of levelling up has been translated in the media, by commentators and by much of the voting public, as being solely reserved for towns and cities north of Birmingham. No one will doubt the desirability of making our former industrial towns attractive places to live, work and socialise. In so doing, we better balance the national economy, but also relieve pressures for house-building and economic development south of Birmingham. However, to see it as northern-facing only is a mistake, and it's one where the government needs to be doing more to demonstrate that there's something in levelling up for everyone, irrespective of where they live in the country. If buses come along in threes, then so do Dorset Tory MPs seeking to catch the eye of Mr Speaker in an important recent Commons debate on levelling up our rural areas. Messrs Drax, Hoare and Loder, the political equivalent of the Three Musketeers, spoke up for our county. I spent most of my time talking about the need to ruralise the rubric. This is not the sexiest of topics, but it is vital. One could be forgiven for thinking that too many central government funding equations are still rooted in calculation methodology which specifically ignores the pressures of delivering public and other services in rural areas. Steps have been taken recently to recognise this in terms of school funding. I spoke up for such changes in Parliament on many occasions and we're now seeing the benefit of the rural location of schools being taken into account. 
Too many of our funding rules have been written in Whitehall, for Whitehall, by people who think that a country walk is a saunter round Hampstead Heath. In my speech, I called for government to appoint a rural czar, or rural squire, who would have a cross-departmental brief to ensure that policies had been rural-proofed. What do I mean by that? Well, that it has taken into account a sparser population, the fact that the age profile is older and the delivery of, for example, in-home adult social care is more difficult given that customers may live many miles apart, that our village school buildings are older and therefore more expensive to heat and maintain, that housing is less plentiful and therefore more costly, making it more expensive for youngsters starting out on their careers to get on the local housing ladder that our police and ambulance services face geographic challenges. Four policemen in central Manchester, for example, cover far more people per square mile than the same in rural Dorset. When it comes to flood prevention works carried out by the Environment Agency, they need to assess the bang they get for each buck per head of the population. £500,000 spent on a scheme that benefits 200,000 people meets the funding test, but a just as much needed £500,000 scheme that benefits 1,000 people does not, simply because rural populations are smaller. If everyone is paying their taxes, there is clear merit in ensuring that there are urban hurdles for proposals to overcome and there are rural hurdles to overcome. They just cannot be the same hurdles. The minister replying to the debate told us all that he understood the message. It wasn't just the three Dorset musketeers making the case, but every rural MP who spoke. There was no doubting the passion and commitment we all felt on these important issues. The Prime Minister, representing a rural seat in North Yorkshire, gets it too. The message has been delivered. Pressure will be maintained. Watch this space. And that's all for this second episode of the December 2022 BV podcast. Join us again next week for the third and final episode of the year, in which we'll hear from the North Dorset representatives of the Labour, Green and Lib Dems. We'll also hear about the body of the 18th century Milton Abbey heir and the mystery surrounding it, about the history of Dorset buttons, going down to the woods, wild bees, turkeys and a Tarrant Valley farm in winter. So do join us. Until then, it's goodbye from me, Jenny Devitt. And it's goodbye from me, Terry Bennett.